We got these boba drinks. We went to Sam's today. We got these boba drinks. I have no idea what you just said. What'd you say about boba? We got these boba drinks. We went to Sam's today. Are they good? They're all right, yeah. Just kind of made my stomach hurt. They're kind of sweet after you drink them for a while. But that's like mango green tea. Did you ever see the story about the chick who she ate so much boba, like had so much boba tea in her stomach, couldn't digest it, and they all solidified in her stomach, and they had to do surgery to remove them? Well, um, they're they're made out of like tapioca pearls. Yeah. And that's all like starch. Mm -hmm. I hope I just unlocked a new fear for you. No, um, because these aren't made that way. These are like little clear balls. They're okay. not real boba. But um, when you suck it through the straw, they like, if you don't like put your tongue up, they like come out with the drink like you would <laughs> regularly drink down your throat. Yeah. So I let Scott try it and I was like, don't suck the ball back into your throat. And he did it immediately. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> I was trying to pull an Eric Andre moment where I was just nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> Give you bad vibes immediately about drinking <laughs> fucking boba tea. <laughs> All right, so... Last night in Soho. We're switching gears. This is a movie I love that you think is not not that great. <laughs> do mid. you think it sucks or do you just think it's mid? It doesn't suck. Okay. I like the first two acts. Okay. The third act, I think it just falls apart. Okay. And plus, it gives me heavy Giallo vibes. I don't know what that means. Um, Giallo films, basically the Italian slasher films, they were kind of the start of slasher movies. But they started out as like a noir films that slowly started becoming killer movies where there were killers involved. Mm -hmm. And Mario Bava kind of started it with Blood and Black Lace and then A Bay of Blood. A Bay of Blood literally is what Friday the 13th is based on. Mm -hmm. And then Blood and Black Lace, like, I think Wes Craven took a lot from it for Scream okay. and everything. But yeah, it's, Giallos were just, like, Italian slasher films, and they were the start of the whole slasher subgenre. Americans took from that, basically. I gotcha. But this movie has a lot of Giallo elements. Like, all the neon lighting, mm -hmm. all the, like, music drops, the kind of 60s-esque yeah. vibe, and then also, like, the, the, the very extravagant blood and then the the scissors that's something yeah. that's very heavy in giallo films is use of scissors mm -hmm. and you see them brought up a lot in this movie because yeah. it's like a fashion thing fashion designer also blood and black lace is entirely about a fashion house oh. so i don't know it just kind of gave me italian giallo vibes i don't know if edgar wright intentionally yeah did that for it but i mean he's a director i'm sure he's a lover of movies so yeah. i'm sure he's seen some of them i like the opening scene I'm a fashion person, which may surprise many people. Um, I do not wear fashion or buy fashion, but I love fashion, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot about fashion and brands and stuff like that. Um, so that part did interest me as a female fashion lover. Because um, I like her, I like the design, like, costumes that they wear. And I like the stuff that she makes. And, like, that first dress she's in when in like the opening scene the pink one yeah mm -hmm. and so it caught you though because i didn't know what i was going into with this movie either but it it caught me when she's like trying it on and she sees her mom in the mirror behind her so you're immediately like she sees dead people <laughs> <laughs> yes but they kind of play it in a way where it's like maybe she's not seeing her 
at first. Like, maybe she's not seeing her. Maybe it's just, like, a memory. It's just, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, she's there with her because she's going to fashion or whatever. But then her grandma asks her, like, are you seeing your mom again? You're like, uh, okay. <laughs> so this happens frequently. <laughs> yeah, so this is a problem. <laughs> Which, do they ever explain why she's able to connect and see Anya Taylor-Joy's character in all of her ghosts? Because I've watched this movie twice now. Yeah, I think it's just the connection with her being in her room. Yeah, I was wondering if it was just that. Because I, the first time I watched it, I was like, they never really explained why she's able to connect with her character. Like, I get her mom. Yeah, I think it's the whole... Well, she's in love with, like, the 60s anyways. Yeah. And then she gets in that room, and I think it's just, like, the... The presence in the room. Because really, it's all the men that attach to her. And they're kind of like showing her Sandy's life. Because Sandy's not really dead. Yeah. And so, they're, I think they're showing her all of this. Because at the end, they want, they actually, it's the men who want her to help mm-hmm. with Sandy. Not the other way around. Yeah. So, I think that's what it really is. Which, I that's that's kind of where it falls apart for me. That's, yeah. That's what I do not like. Yeah, it was a weird take. I'll admit that. Yeah. Like, uh, I just think that's such a dumb way to go about that. I think this movie was so interesting all the way up until the third act reveal. Yeah. Where they basically are like, Sandy's alive. She's a serial killer. (laughs) And also, we're going to victimize all these horrible men and make them out like they're the victims. Fair enough. And it's like, and it's like, what? It's like, no, let them burn. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, I get, I like the whole Sandy thing. I like the, I like the idea that she was actually killing them. Mm-hmm. She wasn't dead the whole time. I think that's a great little spin on it. Yeah. And that she's just been living in this house where she has all these bodies just stashed away in the walls and everything. It's like, that's badass. Yeah. But it's like the whole the whole. It kind of gives me Hitchcock, like. Yes. Not necessarily the same premise as Psycho, but kind of like Psycho vibes where you come to find out it's her the whole time mm. in the building. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. gives you very Hitchcockian vibes. And kind of, kind of like Shyamalan yeah esque vibes where it's like a pretty good twist i think yeah i just think it just they fumbled it with the whole trying to victimize the men and they're like help me yeah i don't know i feel like it's seeing the men like the effects and the way that they handled that is what i didn't like about it yeah just like the ghostly figures of all of them yeah like all throughout the end like in the library and then again in the building that was too much yeah, I didn't like the library scene either. Yeah. Because it made no sense to me how, like, sometimes the apparitions of the ghost were not really there, but they could, like, push her down and do stuff like that. But then sometimes the apparitions of ghosts were real people in her life, but she couldn't tell that they were the real people. It's like, it's yeah. like there has to be some sort of rules and logic to the ghost. Like, yeah. they can't just be there, not there, sometimes people, sometimes not people. It's like, are they really there or are they not really there? And are they covering, like... I guess what I'm trying to explain is, is are they in her head as visions? They're really there, but she's seeing them as visions overlaying on top of other people. Yeah. Or are they not really in the real world, subjugating themselves to other people, and she's just seeing them? Like, it can't be both. Well, I think I think that line gets crossed later in the movie because it's driving her crazy. And yeah. she's not sleeping. And so I think it is a mix of in her head and really there. Yeah, like the subjectivity yeah. aspect of it. Because I kind of thought about that, too, where it's like the closer she's getting to the truth, the more the 60s reality is merging with her own yeah. reality. Like, it's kind of near the end of the movie, it's kind of reaching a peak where both of them are kind of existing at the same time. But I don't I don't know. It's just, I don't, 
my main issue with the entire movie is the way they handle the the whole men stuff. Yeah. Because I think it's dumb that they tried to the victimize them and make them out like they're the victims and then have Sandy sit there and kind of act like she was flabbergasted when she saw them all in the room and everything. And then she was like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's yeah, like, it's see, like she should not, I don't think she should be regretting anything. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily feel like they were victimized. I just feel like it was more of a resolution to like solving the case. Yeah. I did. Cause I didn't feel bad for the men. No, not at all. And it didn't, the movie didn't really make me seem like that's the route they wanted me to go either, watching it. Yeah. Like, personally. But, and it's like you kind of feel bad for Sandy, but at the same time, it's like you made all these choices. <laughs> Not to be that girl. But. <laughs> I knew it was going to, there's the Katie hot take right there. It's going to come up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess it's easy for me to say that she could have got out because Matt Smith's character, what, Jack? Jack, yeah. He probably would have killed her. And I guess she knew that. Yeah. Or at least hurt her. And I guess she knew that, but... Well, he tried to kill her. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He did try to kill her. And then she... And it flipped. Oofed his ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's such a weird... Well, it's like at the beginning, it got so deep that that was his reaction. But at the beginning, if she had just said no and like kept her reputation, it wouldn't have spiraled down the way that it did. Yeah. But like I said, that's easy for me to say. Yeah. Never been there. It's such a weird industry to try and tackle. And I think it's even. What? Shit. My bad. It's such a weird thing to try and tackle. And I think it's even weirder when it's a man writing and directing a movie trying to tackle that subject. Yeah. Not to be like that dude where it's like. Men shouldn't tell stories like that. I mean, you know, you can tell any story you want if you want to write about it. I just think there's certain things where it's like, I mean, you know, it's a movie about a woman's experience and a woman's perspective written by a man. Right. Yeah, but on on the same note, it's not like she was being raped. No, No. So there is that level of she's getting something out of it, too, whether it's like a payment or like, a little taste of this part of the industry or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, they were kind of sleazy men, but did they deserve to die? <laughs> That's the question. I don't know. <laughs> I've exactly. It's a weird topic <laughs> to try and tackle. Yeah. And it's even weirder that it's like so it's well, and it kinda weirdly is, played out. It's kind of the discussion where women get away with things because they're women. What do you mean? Like, Women get away with, like, hurting men, like, physically, you know what I'm saying? Because they're women. Mm-hmm. And because it's like when a man does something, it's horrible. But if a woman does the same thing, it's never nearly as bad just oh, because yeah. they're females. And so that's kind of the take I take out of this movie. It's like we shouldn't still probably feel bad for her because she was still a murderer. Oh, yeah. These dudes were just paying for sex. Not that it's okay, but it's not the same level. Yeah, there was definitely some coercion involved because yeah. it's definitely part of that weird Weinstein kind of reality where it's like, oh, you want to grow in this industry? You well, have to sleep your way to the top. Yeah, you if you want to get noticed by this person, you have to, you know, you make sure you give to the attention of this guy. And it even kind of shows the weirdness of that at the beginning of the movie where the dude is calling her a whore because she went dance with him. Mm-hmm. And then Jack punches him. 
to gain her trust. Mm-hmm. And that's how he brings her into the circle. And then you see them later on when she's stuck on stage dancing in the like the burlesque show now. And she doesn't want to be up there. And you see him talking to that dude at the bar, smoking and drinking. So it's like, so was that whole thing just a part of the plan to yeah. trick her into the into the whole industry to begin sure. with? That's what I'm saying. There's yeah. a lot of coercion, a lot of manipulation going on. So at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's like, do, do does someone deserve to die because they're a bad person probably not but does someone deserve to kill people also probably not because of their tr- shitty choices yeah it's it's such a gray area movie where it's like there's never there's not really any good guy yeah and there's not really any bad guy either they're all shitty yeah i mean except for ellie i mean yeah ellie's not doing anything she's just witnessing everything in horror the whole time just <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> But yeah, I mean, everyone else, like even all the men in this movie, I don't know if you noticed this, but they all kind of have red flags. Yeah. Even if they're minor ones, mm-hmm. like when she first gets in the taxi mm-hmm. and she's like, yeah, I'm going to the, the college and I'm going to be in the fashion thing. And he's like, I knew that looking at the legs on you. Yeah. And she's just like, what the fuck? And like covers yeah. up her legs. And she runs into the store afterwards and he's just sitting outside. Yeah. Waiting for yeah, her. No, absolutely not. And even like even the most minor of red flags, the dude taking her Coke out of the fridge, even though her name was on it. Mm-hmm. I guess this was yours and then shows it to her. I mean, he buys her a new one. Again, minor red flag. But it's yeah. like one of those things where it's like every man in the movie is shown in some way or another as being either predator ish or voyeurism-ish, where they mm-hmm. want to look at them, or, like, just taking things that aren't theirs. Yeah. Like, there's there's some red flag for yeah. every man in the movie. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Like, I don't think there was one guy in the movie that didn't do one thing that was could be seen as a I red flag. I don't think her love interest had a red flag. Like, him taking He was the, the one who took the coke out yeah, of Yeah, and I don't think that's, that's what I'm saying, very flag. minor. Yeah. Very minor of red flags. I'm just saying I find that interesting that every guy in the movie did something that could be I guess be you're perceived. right, because he did see her name on it and was like, fuck it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it's that's the minorest of them all. But I'm just saying it's weird how there was no male character in the entire movie that didn't do something that would be seen as crossing a line yeah. in some way or another as a red flag. Even the guy who's supposed to be the cop. That she thought was Jack when he was older yeah, the whole time. He was definitely not okay. Yeah. And he w- that was such a weird part added in the movie, too. He was in one flashback scene with her. Yeah. Who played him in that flashback? That was the dude who was in Hunger Games. Ooh. Sam Claflin, yeah. All the Hunger Games movies. Oh, him. Yeah. He was in Me Before You. That's where I know him from. That is the one romantic movie that I absolutely love. <laughs> Cut the cameras. <laughs> Cinequest is over. <laughs> We're done. But yeah, Sam Sam Claflin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the younger guy. Yeah. And he was just in that one flashback scene. Yeah, and it... And then they tried to make it out like, oh. They tried to make the older version of him, though, out like he knew everything. He was, like he was Jack. Y- yeah. yeah. No, but it was it was almost like if he would just saw her this one time in the bar, then I don't know. It was unnecessary. That's what I'm saying. The script is so convoluted, and I feel like this is one like the first time I saw it. This is something that came to my mind. I was like, I feel like this script was rushed, and I feel like if Edgar Wright maybe took like six months, yeah. kind of ironed it out a little bit. But you know, it came out during COVID. Did it? Yes. 
Because the end credit scene when they're showing the empty streets of London, it was filmed during lockdown. I did not know that. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I couldn't And it didn't do well in the box office because people weren't really going to the movies and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. But I, this is definitely one of those movies that I feel like, especially during lockdown, now that I know that, he should have taken some time and just put it on the back burner and kind of yeah. ironed out the script and been like, what, what's some stuff I can clean up here? Yeah. Make it a little bit better. Because it seemed too rushed. seemed like there was too much going on at certain moments. And there was too many characters trying to follow. And there was also too much of him trying to give red herrings. Yeah. To try and confuse the audience. It's like, oh, look over here. Oh, look over here. Look over here. It's like, we don't need all that, dude. Like, you just, just make the movie. Yeah. Make it as best as you possibly can. I feel like he was trying to do too much at one time. But that's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. But you love it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do have to bring this part up. One of the, the things that I loved was her first scene where she goes back into the 60s. And you see Sandy for the first time. And they're walking down the staircase. And you see him in the mirror. Yes. That was practical effects. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but the coat guy, mm-hmm. it was the twins from Harry Potter, James and Oliver Phelps. <laughs> and they were able to pull off the practical of seeing him in the mirror because his twin played him. That's great. Yeah. I did. I do like all the the flashback stuff where yeah. she's dreaming and you see all the mirror things. Like the first time she meets Jack. Yeah. And she's sitting at that little nook in the bar mm-hmm. talking to Jack and Jack has his regular reflection, but then her reflection is Ellie. Yeah. I do like all that stuff. I think all that looks great. Yeah. And the whole like the, the telephone booth mm-hmm. scene. That one looked good too. Because yeah. I mean there's just a lot of good stuff where it's like the, the way it's directed it looks so good. And I wish all the, I wish everything was like that. Cause I like Matt Smith too as an actor. He's interesting. Yeah. I've only seen him in a couple of things because I don't really watch TV. Yeah. But he's mostly TV like Doctor Who and House of Dragon and stuff, right? He was in The Crown, too. He played Prince Philip in The Crown the first season. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that. I've really only seen him in uh, Lost River by Ryan Gosling. That was Mm -hmm. his directional debut, which he was good in that. And then I've seen him in... Oh, he was in Morbius. He plays Morbius' (laughs) friends. That's what it was. I completely forgot about Morbius. Another we all have. Yeah. <laughs> we have all blocked that out. <laughs> Forgettable movie right there. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what a clusterfuck. <laughs> oh God, I can't wait for superhero movies to be done. Yeah. But yeah, Matt Smith, I thought he was good in this movie as Jack. Uh one thing I'll say is that scene where he where he basically seduces Sandy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say seduced her, but he seduces her into this life yeah. by doing the dance with her. Mm-hmm. It is so well choreographed and so yes. well shot. It's incredible. One of the best needle drops ever. And then he's just slowly walks in with the cigarette and he's smoking it and she's already dancing and he kind of like joins the line of her dancing and then he like tosses the cigarette and like throws his hand up and they in sync with the hand and the cameras fall around all the time. I was like, oh my God, why can't the whole movie be choreographed yeah. and shot like this? Because <laughs> this one dance scene is fucking incredible. Yeah. Like hot take. It's better than like some Pulp Fiction dance scene. Like, it's probably one of the best dance scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And everyone that loves Tarantino is going to cut my throat for that. But <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I think The Last Night in Soho, that's one thing I think is done really well. And that's one thing that Edgar Wright is really good at. Like, he made uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World mm-hmm. and the whole Cornetto trilogy with um, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and mm-hmm. World's End. His directing is always really good, and he's always really good at choreographing stuff. 
and I liked what he was doing with this movie. I just wished he had just maybe taken more time to really get down to the motivations and the logic underneath the surface. Yeah. Like the character motivations. Because I think that's something that's severely slept on with writers. Because, you know, David Fincher, when he makes a movie, he goes through the entire script with the screenwriter Mm -hmm. piece by piece, like page by page. And it's like, what's the motivation here? Why is this in here? Is this going to work? Do we need this? Like, you know, every piece. And I think that's why David Fincher movies just flow so well and everything works. And I think every director and screenwriter should do that when they make a movie. It's just go through and it's like, is this necessary? Do Mm -hmm. we need it? What part of the story is this telling? You're right, because thinking on it, all of these characters are surface level. Like, even Ellie is surface level. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think a case could be made that Sandy might be the most complex character out of all of them. She's very interesting. But even, even towards the end, they kind of fumble with her motivations and logic too. And it's like, that doesn't make sense for her character. Why would she do that? Yeah. Like, why would she stab this dude in the belly, then chase her up the stairs, then she gets kicked down the stairs, then the fire starts, and then she goes upstairs, sees all the ghosts of all the men that she's killed over the years that she's had buried in the walls for years and decades. And then all of a sudden, she's just like, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to prison. Run. Go save the boy. It's like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, that is one thing. She just gives up. Yeah. Uh, and she spent her whole life protecting the secret. Yeah. She'd rather die than let all this play out that way. I exactly. The logic of it just to me doesn't make sense. And I'm sure there's some people who have, who probably read movies differently than I do or read against the grain. And they probably have some wildly convoluted way of explaining the motivations behind Sandy. But in my eyes, I'm just like, the third act just fumbles hard. Yeah. Just drops the ball. It's like there could have been so much more done with it, and I think it could have been a lot more interesting, too. Well, um... You know how good of an ending it would have been if Sandy wins in the end? Yeah. Like, how crazy of an ending would that have been that we follow Ellie this whole time, like she's the main character, and then we have Sandy kind of intercutting in all the way to lead up to the end to where Sandy kills the boy and Ellie, buries them in the walls with the rest of them, and, and that's ends. how the movie ends. Yeah. That would have been one of the fucking best endings ever. I would have been right there just, <laughs> woo! <laughs> like, that would have been a banger. But, you know, I mean... Yeah. I could say that about a lot of movies where I'm just like, if they just did this one thing differently, God, it'd be a banger, you know. But that it's not my story to tell. Yeah. That was that was, that was the way Edgar Wright wanted it done. Um... Older Sandy is played by Diana Rigg. Really? And she plays one of my favorite characters in Game of Thrones. Who does she play in Game of Thrones? She plays, um, I don't know her first name. Um, Olena, Olena, that's her first name. Olena Tyrell. She plays Marjorie's grandmother. And she's a badass. She kills Joffrey. Oh. She's the grandma that kills Joffrey. Yeah, she's a badass. Okay. But she died, and this movie was dedicated to her. Soho was? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know she passed away. Yeah. That sucks. So was this her last movie then? I believe so, yeah. She was great. But that's the only two things I've ever seen her in is this movie. But apparently she was like an old school actress, like when she was younger. Mm -hmm. And she was very beautiful. I'm sure she was in a lot of good stuff. If she's like, uh, if she's well-renowned, I'm sure she was in a lot of like old, like probably 50s and 60s movies. Yeah. That are probably classics now. I need to go look up what else she's been in. But she was really talented. Like her yeah. acting and everything. I was actually really impressed with her for the most part, mm-hmm. more than anybody. You should see her in Game of Thrones. 
she sells the evilness. Yeah. When she's like explaining everything to her before the bag is fumbled on her mm-hmm. renovations, when she's just sitting there and she's poisoning Ellie's coffee and everything, yeah. and she's just explaining everything. It's like she has that kind of scene with Jamie. I know you haven't seen Game of Thrones, but yeah. Jamie is the uncle, the incestuous uncle that's really the father of Joffrey mm. that dies. And he goes in and he's supposed to kill her and he goes easy on her and gives her like the poison that's like gives her a simple death. And uh, she confesses to killing his son basically right then and there. And <laughs> it's a really good scene, but it's kind of it kind of plays out the same way as last night in Soho, which may be why they picked her. Yeah, they probably saw that scene. and They're just like, oh, she's she's killing it. Yeah, she's killing it. Yeah, which she does. And I think I think her and Anya Taylor-Joy are really the only ones that kill it in the whole movie. Yeah. I wasn't really impressed so with anyone else. Oh, well, I guess Matt Smith. I was impressed with Matt yeah. Smith's acting. Everyone Ellie, else, though? Oh. She's played by uh, Thomason McKenzie is her name. But I have this weird brain thing where, like, sounds, like, scratch my brain. It's almost like ASMR without it being ASMR. You about to say her voice? Yes, her voice scratches my brain, and there's something about her character that just entranced me in the movie. There's something about like her talking; it's so different that I was just like, "That's it." When I was rewatching it, Hannah was watching. She was just like, "What the fuck is wrong with her voice?" <laughs> Hannah hated her voice. Really? Yeah, she'd just be sitting here. It's just like, <laughs> "Why is she doing that?" And it's like, "That's her voice." Yeah. But I recognize you know, she, her from Jojo um, Rabbit and Old. I haven't. S- is she's an old? Yeah. Who is she in Old? She's the. I don't know what stage of growth, but she's the the daughter. Well, At one I point only in saw the movie, that the one the time when we saw it in the theater, so I yeah. don't really remember who played who in that movie. You know how you know how the the daughter of the parents mm-hmm. in the movie starts out younger than the the brother, which is I guess was that Alex Wolf? I think so. Well, at one stage of her life in the movie, mm-hmm. it's this chick. She's one of the stages, and then she's in Jojo Rabbit also. And that's the only. I haven't other. seen Jojo Rabbit. Those are the only two things I've seen her in, other than so. But that is her voice. Like that's not fake. Yeah, that's just her voice. Yeah, that's just the way something she talks. about it is just different to me, and it was it made her more memorable. I could see that. But um, she actually dropped out of Top Gun Maverick to be in this movie. Who was she gonna be? In I don't Maverick? know. I just know that she dropped out of that movie to be. I wonder if she was gonna be the daughter. Possibly. Of Tom Cruise's little flame. Was that a sm? Small bit part. I think, yeah, I think the daughter in Top Gun Maverick was only in, like, probably two or three scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, I probably would have dropped out of that to be the star of my own movie. Yeah, Soho. Yeah. yeah, Especially since it has a fairly decent cast. It wasn't, like, a yeah a random movie. I mean, in my opinion, I, I love Tom Cruise as an actor. Mm-hmm. But if I saw these two movies that were offered to me, it was either Soho with like Anya Taylor Joy, Matt Smith, and you're the main character, and I'm the lead, and then it's just like Tom Cruise and Miles Teller and all these meatheads over here. I'd be like, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna go work with Edgar Wright, yeah, and be on Last Night Soho <laughs> <laughs> over Joseph Kavinsky, Kaczynski for Maverick, which I guess that would be a financial mistake in the industry. But I feel like artistically, artistic integrity, I think that's a better move. Yeah. But financially, yeah, that'd probably be a, a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Picking Soho over Maverick. But Well, and then so Anya Taylor-Joy is one of my favorite actresses, like, right now. And 
I didn't realize that she was going to be in the movie, which is stupid because she's like front and center on the the marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then when I saw her, I was like, oh hell yeah, this is about to be good. And then you see Matt Smith come out and her singing, her little performance. I've never heard Anya Taylor Joy sing. Was that her real singing? Yes. That oh, wow. was her that's her real voice. Yeah. So I, that was also intriguing to me. That's good. Yeah. That is impressive. Which most actors and actresses have multiple talents. Yeah. A lot of them can sing, play instruments, stuff like that. But I thought that was pretty good also. She's she's I think one of the best working actresses today. Mm-hmm. Because I've never really seen a bad performance from her, even in shitty movies, except for maybe The New Mutants. Wasn't really impressed with yeah, her in The I New Mutants. I didn't see that. But, you know, I mean, her in The Northmen and in Split and in this movie. and um, Was Split like her debut? I feel like there was another movie that was actually her debut, but that Split was the first thing that I saw her in. I think, I think Split was... Yeah, I don't know if I ever saw her in anything before Split. I don't know, but I rem- I when I watched that movie, obviously I loved it. But her, she stuck out to me because that was the first time I've ever seen her, and she has a memorable look. Oh shit! It might have been The Witch. You're right. The Witch was her You're first right. movie, You're which right. she is really good in that too. Yeah, she but kills in that. She's just a memorable actress. Just the way she looks and different aspects about her isn't like anybody else. Yeah. So, she's also just really talented. Yeah, like I, I, I love her. She, like the, I remember the first time I saw a witch, I was just like, "Damn, this is a great movie." Because I mean, it's Robert Eggers, and then Anya Taylor Joy steals the whole show. Her and Black Phillip, basically. Yeah. And then, Split. She was just as impressive in that, and that's Shyamalan, another impressive director. And then yeah. she comes back and works with Eggers for The Northman, and she kills in The Northman also. Yeah. And then she's great in. Even the last night, so even though I don't really like the movie, I think all of her stuff in the movie is good. Yeah. Then there was the New Mutants, mm. which is that was a lot of studio what? shit going on with that one. What is that? It was an X Men movie. That's what I thought. It was supposed to be like the first X Men horror movie spinoff kind of thing. It was gonna have like a hard R rating and gonna be super dark, and then the studio meddled with it, mm. turned Imagine it, it, turned it into like a PG thirteen kind of teeny boppy. I've started learning that when you delve, like starting to delve into movies, the studio ruins everything every single time. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. There have been very few instances where the studio actually did something that helped the movie. Mm -hmm. Most of the times when you hear about movies being worse because of studios, I don't don't know if I've ever heard of a movie that's better because of a studio meddling. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse had one thing. Robert Eggers wanted a fully erect penis <laughs> to be um, dissolved into the actual lighthouse. Like, you see a fully erect penis, and then it kind of fades into the actual lighthouse, you know, in the movie. Uh-huh. And he was like, I want it to be very Freudian, and what? that would be, like, the phallic imagery. And then I think A24 was kind of just like, no. No, we don't need that. Yeah, good and then And then Eggers, even in an interview afterwards, was like, yeah, I think it's better to I not... I thought you were going to say for William Willem Dafoe. No, I think it was <laughs> I think it was just going to be like a prosthetic. I don't yeah. think it was going to be a real one. Yeah. But I think Eggers, even in an interview afterwards, was like, yeah, I think that was the right call to not have that, because that might have been too on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> might have been too, just too much. Yeah. Some things you just... Yeah. Be left alone. Yeah, sometimes I guess that's the only time I've ever heard of someone actually sitting there being like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best call. But yeah. for the most part, yeah, it, whenever a studio meddles with a movie, it's 
does not help. Just just let the artist cook. You hired them, hired the directors and the writers for a reason. Just, just let them do their job. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about it and going back into the cop and how he was basically irrelevant as the older cop. I mean, I know we're supposed to be led for him to be believe that he's Jack. Yeah, the red herring. Yeah, but, you know, when she dyes her hair to look like Sandy, he's like, you look familiar to me. She don't look nothing like Sandy. And nothing about that movie was supposed to lead you to believe that she was. Yeah, that was Except the Except for that one thing, and it was just kind of, I don't know, it was unnecessary. I agree. That was part of the facade where she was trying to be like Sandy. Yeah. She didn't really understand what was happening yet. That was before he got to the dark shit, where she started realizing what was going on underneath the surface. Because at first she was just entranced by her, and she got obsessed with the, the glitz and the glamour of stardom, kind of like Sandy did. Yeah. And she didn't really realize all the shit that came with it. Which I, I do like the scene a lot where after she realizes that she doesn't see Sandy as a hero anymore. But she also still wants to help her and feels bad about it. And she tears up her dress that she's making for the fashion show. Because she's lost faith in it. Yeah. Because she's kind of lost faith in Sandy. It's like you're not the you're not the person on the pedestal I thought you were. I thought that was a good scene. Yeah. And the teacher come, runs over and it's like, no, it's okay. It's just a lack of confidence because no one really understands why she's tearing up the dress. Yeah. I liked I liked that scene a lot. I thought that was really good directing. I think that's one of those things. That's the kind of stuff I like to see in movies where it's very subtle kind of storytelling. Where it's like, this is happening. And it has a lot of complexity and depth to it. Yeah. Than just what's on the surface. But that's one of the few scenes in the whole movie that actually does that. <laughs> Yeah, but even at the end, she still ends up, her f- little fashion show is still 60s. Yeah. Even after everything that happened, it's still like, well, this is over. I'm still going to do this. That's a part of the fumble yeah. that I would say. Yeah. Is that it doesn't make any sense because she regresses. Yeah. Like you would think Which that was she would move on. She was still into it beforehand. Yeah. I- even without this kind of stuff. She was. But then the, the scene at the end where she looks in the mirror after her fashion show and she sees Sandy instead of her mom and it's just like okay <laughs> stupid stupid ass ending it makes no fucking sense it would make more sense if it was her mom being like you know you go girl she sees her mom and yeah. then she sees sandy but just leave it at that and it, and even the score changes like the music of the scene when she sees sandy it goes back to that horror kind of dark tone would almost lead you to believe that sandy's gonna continue to be over her shoulder yeah for the rest of her life just like her mom it's so weird to me. The, that's part of the fumbling also. The the logic behind the movie and the motivations make no sense. They give you the happy ending, which even the happy ending doesn't make sense because Sandy backs down and lets him get away and all that. And it's like, why? But then after you get the happy ending, she doesn't progress. Ellie doesn't progress. She still gets trapped in this little circle of her psyche where she's like, she still wants to be this facade of the 60s thing. Yeah. And it's not really her style. That's not what she was making at home. You know what I mean? She didn't yeah. get obsessed with the pink fluff, like fluff dress until yeah. she saw Sandy. It's like, and that's the star of your show now. And it's like, okay, so you're regressing back to the thing that you were trying to escape from part of this facade that you found out was a facade. All the glitz and glamour instead of I mean, I guess it. you could say that it wasn't a happy ending. It, yeah, it's, I mean, they give you the false happy ending and then it goes into yeah. that. And then you see Sandy again. And then it plays the horror tone again, and she, like, waves at her all sinisterly, and then it cuts to black. So it's like, it just doesn't make sense. So She got away from it physically, but not mentally. Yeah. There, there's no logic to it. That's what I'm saying. That's the fumbling. It yeah. just, I don't see how it, there's any logic to how it ends at all. 
you made it so convoluted for no reason to ultimately get to the same kind of not happy ending. Yeah. That's what that's what I was trying to say was like it would have been better if Sandy just fucking killed him and buried her in a house and then it ended with her just still living on in the home. No one knew a thing. Yeah. Basically be the same. <laughs> yeah, there's so many routes you could go. Like you could even say that the fire was still started, but she blames it they they die and she blames it on them says she was protecting herself. Yeah. This crazy girl came in with this boy and they attacked her and well, I yeah. guess it still wouldn't explain all the bodies there in the building. Well, yeah. I mean, you would have to explain the bodies. Yeah. But I feel like she could have put out the fire before, like, everything happened. I don't know. I would have just written that whole ending differently. Yeah. I, I, would th- I don't even think there should have been a fire. <laughs> Again, it's just like. When she just got away with slicing that girl up with the scissors in the library, too. They're all good at the end. You know, the little, like. You did a good job. You're so brave. After you fucking stabbed me with scissors in the library. <laughs> that line was so cringeworthy. She almost, yeah, she almost stabs her in the eye with the scissors. And then she's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> but then at the end, she does the fashion show, and then all the girls from her school are just like, you're so brave. You did it. It's like, what is happening right now? Like, are we in a dream? Like, yeah, there's no logic to it. Yeah, that's not how that would play out in real no. life. And everyone just cool. Like, the dudes over there at the fashion show just clapping. You got stabbed in the fucking stomach, bleeding out. It's like I would have been out. Like, the minute she would have started freaking out and talking about dead people and all the shit that happened in the hotel, I would have been out. Well, like, when he first went back to her place, and they were going to get freaky. Remember? And he almost got got caught there. Yeah, yeah. after that, I would have been like, all right, this is too much trouble. I'm leaving. Way too much. Yeah. They they were working with Scream 6 logic in this movie. People getting stabbed (laughs) and stuff, and everyone's just like, woo! (laughs) Happy ending. We're all good. Got stabbed 47 (laughs) times in the chest, but I'm alive and kicking. (laughs) Makes no fucking sense. Yeah. But I think the cinematography of the movie is beautiful. I think it looks good. I mean, there's never really... At one point in the movie where I thought it looked bad. Yeah. All the actors did their job. Well, and all the historical sites, too, for London. Yeah. Those were cool, too. Yeah. Very cool. And I like I like the, the set designs and all the flashbacks for the 60s stuff. It, it looked very 60s. Yeah. And I liked how they kind of... I don't know if that street was a... That main street with, like, the Rialto and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a set or not, but it... That's really impressive that they made it look like the 60s Rialto with the neon sign and then had yeah. the, the modern Rialto. I don't know about that, but I think the Cafe de Perry, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think that was not, ne- I don't know if it was a set, but it was like a copy of the real place somewhere else. Like that makes they, sense. somebody remade the building somewhere else. So they could alter it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like they just take, like, basically pictures of the place and just rebuild it somewhere else and yeah. kind of change it a little bit here yeah. and there for the studio. That makes sense. Overall, I I don't know. Very mixed receptions on yeah. on this one for me. Yeah, and uh, t- just talking through it kind of makes me rethink the ending also. I still really like it, but I think you're right. It could have, some things could have been done differently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the great things about movies, though, is even even you can recognize how much a movie is flawed. And yeah. You can still sit there and be like, I like it, though. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> like, a lot of people say, I have a guilty pleasure movie. Yeah. Which I think is kind of a dumb saying to begin with. Like, you know, you should never have a guilty pleasure movie for liking it. If you like it, you like it. Yeah. Just, just like it. 
doesn't have to be a perfect movie. Everyone has movies that they don't that aren't perfect that they Just like. Just like me before you. That's a guilty pleasure movie for me. And we're out. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about last night, Sarah? I think that I think that'll wrap it up. Good, because that me before you lied. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hot take! (laughs) We need to cut off the recording before we get in trouble. (laughs) We're out. Deuces.